This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, as a Christian, I guess that it would be easy for you to recite the Lord's Prayer. Is that what we're resorting to here? Gestapo tactics? I would like to hear that. Would you like to hear him say the Lord's Prayer? Fine, I'm happy to. Our Father, Art, who is up in heaven, aloe vera be thy name. The thigh. Thy kingdom, the magic kingdom, as it is on earth in the helicopter. Give us this day our daily pizza and let us digest it. Forgive us. Pass. Forgive us for trespassing and do not lead us to the temptations because we are tired of them and their dancing. And deliver us from evil with your mighty sword and falcon forever and ever and ever. Amen. I'm voting for that guy. We're in this series of messages about prayer, and we've been talking about uh, this particular week, and if you're in a group, you're going to be talking about how to pray like Jesus prayed. You think about how Jesus prayed, there are a lot of different ways. He prayed in in solitude. He went off to a quiet place to pray. When he was really wanting to know what God's will was, he would often go off in solitude. We know he prayed the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father Prayer, and he prayed that in response to the question, how do we pray? So he was teaching us in the Lord's Prayer, these are the kind of things that I really think are important to pray about. He prayed with authority. He would speak over disease and sickness and evil and nature. He, he prayed those prayers of authority and command that came out of him. He prayed for unity. He prayed that Christians would be one, that we would be united. All of us who follow him would be one with him. And he prayed for forgiveness. Now, there's five different sermons there. There's five different ways we could go with this today. But what I really want to talk about today is the prayer of forgiveness. I want to talk about how Jesus was a person who forgave. And as we think about this, I I want to invite you to put your Jesus glasses on. I was going to get these wild, funky glasses and put them on and say, these were my Jesus glasses, but I was afraid they would distract from you. But the idea is that you and I see people differently than Jesus sees people. Okay? And we need Jesus' glasses to see people the way Jesus sees people. There's a verse in Scripture I like really well, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, that says, from now on... He's talking about people that know Jesus, okay? From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once looked at Christ from a human point of view, we no longer look at him in that way. So when Jesus sees people, what what does he see? He sees they're like they're sheep without a shepherd. He sees that they're they're sick and they're in need of a physician. He sees people who sin and mess up who are in need of forgiveness. He sees what people can become. Jesus looks at people differently in the way that we look at people. He looks beyond their faults, and he sees their needs. He sees how they're bound up. He sees how they mess up. And so Jesus, if you look at the Gospels and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, what we find is, God bless you, 
What we find is in Jesus is he's always practicing this forgiveness, and he doesn't wait for people to ask him for forgiveness. You ever notice that? The woman caught in adultery, he sets her free. I don't condemn you. Zacchaeus up in a tree, greedy dude. He doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to invite him. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go home with you. Jesus looks at individual people. And he's forgiving them and creating mercy. When people were physically sick, oftentimes he would say, your sins are forgiven you. Not that he's teaching that every time we're physically sick, it's because we sin, but he's seeing this correlation of physical and spiritual and mental and emotional health. They go together. So when Jesus saw people, he looked beyond their needs, and he, and, and he was forgiving, and he was merciful, and, and it got him into a lot of trouble. In the stories that he told, if you remember the stories about the lost sheep and the lost coin, the lost son, it's a story about the shepherd that goes out to find the one that's lost. It's about the woman that searches for the lost coin. It's about the father that just can't wait for the son to come home. What is Jesus teaching us? What is he practicing? What is, he's talking always continuously about mercy and forgiveness. It's scandalous what he's doing. And it gets him in a lot of trouble. And nowhere... Is this more evident than when he's on the cross? I want to invite you to look with me at the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter. And as we look at these verses together, I want to invite you as best you can to just imagine yourself at the foot of the cross. Imagine yourself taking in the sights and the sounds of being there as Jesus prays from the cross. What does he say? What, is, what happens? Two other also who were criminals were led away to be put to death. When they came to the place that was called the skull, they were crucified. They crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing and The people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there, kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Three different times, people yell abuse at Jesus. 
The religious leaders yell abuse at him. The soldiers yell abuse at him. The criminal yells abuse at him. In the other Gospels, we're told that both criminals yell and taunt at Jesus. But that third criminal, something happens to him where he responds in a different way. And what does Jesus do in response to this? How does Jesus respond? Jesus prays two prayers. And these prayers are not petition prayers. These prayers are prayers of authority. These prayers are Jesus pronouncing forgiveness over people's lives. When he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. What's, what's he doing there? He's praying over the soldiers. He's praying over the religious leaders. He's, he's praying over people. And he prays those prayers of authority. He's not asking God to do it. He's declaring God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the criminal looks at this and sees this and witnesses this and turns to Jesus with that request, to, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And again, Jesus speaks a word of authority. Today, today, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. These were offenders. And yet Jesus never ever in his ministry or on the cross stops and thinks, oh, let me wait a minute here. I want to stop and think about uh, how many sins have you committed? What have you really done here? It's never that. It's never calculating. It's always scandalous that no matter what someone has done or who they've become, Jesus offers mercy and forgiveness to all. In fact, the forgiveness is on the table. It's always been on the table since the cross. If you ever um, get a call from someone in prison, it goes like this. There's a recorder, and the recorder says there's an offender from such and such a place that's calling you, and if you want to accept these charges, hit one. If you want to decline uh, the phone call, hit two. If you want to block this and never, ever receive calls from this prison again, hit six. Jesus always accepts the charges. Jesus always accepts the call. Jesus is never turned off by our offenses in such a way that does not allow him to extend mercy and forgiveness. What Jesus is offended, though, is people who are religious, who claim to know him, who are not loving and forgiving and merciful to other people. That really offends Jesus. God does not forgive us because we're good. God forgives us because He's good. And I have offended Jesus, I'm sure, many times in my life, not mainly about what I've done, 
but the lack of mercy and love and forgiveness in my heart. And what I want to do today is I, I want to talk to those of us first who know Jesus, who have this relationship with Jesus. What does he want us to do? Because if Jesus prayed like this and if he forgave like this, guess what? <laughs> he wants us to pray like this. He wants us to be merciful. And so let's look at some other scriptures together. In the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the 12 disciples, and he says these words, Repentance and the forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's what he wants us to proclaim. That's what he wants us to announce. That's, he wants, that's what he wants everybody to know, that repentance and the forgiveness of sins is available to everybody. And the message puts it this way, a total life change. That's the way they describe repentance, a total life change through the forgiveness of sins. Notice it's through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations. Now, how I grew up, how the church taught me, or at least this is what I thought the preacher said, but maybe I didn't hear the preacher right, okay? But this is the way I got it as a kid. And the message was, get your act together, repent, and then God will forgive you. And I think that's the message that basically the church has sent the world. Get your act together. We shame people. And then, you know, straighten up and then God will forgive you. But that is not the message of the good news of Jesus Christ at all. But the message is life change a changed life, a transformed life can be yours by accepting God's forgiveness. We never straighten up on our own. We mess up countless times. We will mess up again after receiving forgiveness. But there's something that happens to us. We're set free by the mercy and love of God through the forgiveness of sins. And if your sins are forgiven, if, if you know that you live in the mercy and the grace of God, it, it changes your life, how you see yourself, and also how you see other people. And Jesus wants us, as his kids, his forgiven family, to go out and extend this to the world. He says to uh, Peter and the disciples, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Keys are used to unlock doors and unlock people's lives. And I give you the keys of the kingdom. I want you to know that whatever you bound on earth, whatever you tie up, whoever you tie up, they're going to be bound in heaven. But whoever you cut free, whatever you cut free, whatever you loosen, is going to be loosed in the spiritual realm. Now, I understand that only God can forgive sins, but God is Jesus, and Jesus has already forgiven the sins. And he's telling us that he is giving us this ministry of forgiveness and mercy to give to the world. In fact, he says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, another post-resurrection appearance. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of, of, of any... They're retained. 
This is life-changing. That you and I are supposed to go out and announce to people that forgiveness of sins has happened in Jesus' name. People don't have to wonder, would God ever, will God ever forgive me for that offense or for who I've become? Jesus has already forever answered the question. And so the grace to forgive is always found in the grace of being forgiven. You know, if you don't remember anything else I said today, remember that. You may want to write it down, that the grace to forgive is found in the grace of being forgiven. Forgiveness starts with God. Forgiveness is God's thing. God starts it. It's his idea. And it's something we receive. And it's when we receive it and we know it and we experience it that we, we offer it then to others. We're to pronounce this. We're, we're to be ministers of reconciliation. That's our calling. It's what we're called to do. Now, if you're like me, you don't always like people. And you look at people in a different way than Jesus looks at people. You see people's faults. You get hacked off by them. Uh, you're in a certain mood. It just propels yourself to get worse. And there's a prayer that I learned this summer that has meant a lot to me. I want to share this prayer with you. And the prayer goes like this. Jesus, okay, I'm praying for, for Mark, okay? <laughs> I don't like Mark. <laughs> when I see Mark, Jesus, this is what I see. And I can talk to Jesus about all the things about Mark that bothers me. May I borrow your glasses so I can see Mark as you do. And I begin to get a different perspective, an attitude toward Mark. I love you, Mark. No problem here. Okay. Just an illustration. See how that works? That simple. And we as God's people, of all people, we're to live this way. We're to act this way, and it's scandalous. But it really frees people up. So I want to give you a couple of pictures of how this can happen, how that we can be ministers of reconciliation, how... We who have been reconciled to God can say to others, be reconciled to God. Know the mercy of God. Be a friend of God. God's a friend of yours. It's already been taken care of. Jesus has already reconciled us. Just accept this. And all of us are given opportunities in different ways, promptings of the Spirit. I'm not saying get weird, but I'm just saying look at the opportunities where you can be an ambassador, a coach for someone else to find the mercy and forgiveness of God. That's what we live for. So let me tell you a story about uh, my son Jonathan and his uncle Mike. This is a picture about 20 years ago. They were known as soccer man and soccer ball. Uh, Jonathan was soccer man, Mike was soccer ball. They had a great relationship with each other. Mike never had any kids of his own, and they they were just really buddies growing up. 
Uh, this spring, Mike lost his battle with addiction. And so he's dying in Indianapolis in the hospital, intensive care unit, tubes all over him, down his throat, kind of semi-conscious. So Jonathan drives over one day, just a few days before he, he dies, and from Columbus to see his buddy, his uncle. And he goes into that intensive care area, and he says, uh, Hey, Mike, uh, death is a scary thing. Scary. But Jesus has really taken away the scare of death. Jesus has taken care of death. Jesus has overcome death. You don't have to be afraid. So Mike's, his eyes are shut, tube down his throat. Is he listening to this? Is he hearing this? Don't know. And Jonathan continues, you know, my mother tells me that when I die, she's going to go ahead of me, and she's, I'm supposed to look for her at the eastern gate. Now, in our family, our big joke in our family is my wife doesn't have any sense of directions. <laughs> so she tells us all, I'm going to find the eastern gate. That's why I'm going to ask people for directions, and that's where you're going to find me there, too. <laughs> so Jonathan says, Mike, you know, there's people waiting for you at the Eastern Gate. There's your dad, there's your grandparents, and Jesus is waiting for you. And as, my, as, as Jonathan says those words to Mike, Mike's eyes open up. And he can't turn his head, but he turns his eyes right to, to where Jonathan is. And then Jonathan says, Mike... Do you love Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And Mike intently blinks his eyes several times. There's different ways in which we can reach out to people, but folks, everyone's trying to find their way home. Everyone's trying to find mercy and forgiveness. And God wants everybody to make it. You know, it's been a really crazy baseball season, and uh, i got to tell you, as a Cardinal fan, it's hard for me to do this, but I, I just got to commend the Kansas City Royals. They had a championship season. They did great right up to the end of the World Series. And, you know, when I'm rooting for the Cardinals, my heart is racing really fast. I mean, I about died several times during the playoffs. And I find myself on Game 7... At the end of the game, oh my goodness, I'm rooting for the Royals like I'm rooting for the Cardinals. How'd that happen? Three to two game, right? Two outs. And Gordon hits the single that gets past the center fielder. And he's racing around the bases. And the left fielder comes over and he fumbles the ball and he throws it in. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to make it all the way around. But the ball comes in to the shortstop in short left field. And all Crawford has to do is really just kind of scoop up the ball, turn and throw it to Posey to get him out. 30% mathematical chance he would be safe. Some people have figured this out already. 
but there's only a 25% chance that a guy at third base with two outs is going to make it home. But the third base coach holds him up, holds him up. And Gordon dies there at third base as the last out is made. You know the story. The Royals lost the World Series by 90 feet. And I got to wonder what would happen if they had waved him on home. What would happen? We're never going to know. I think there's a lot of people on their spiritual journey and their understanding of God are dying on third base. And they need somebody. They need a coach. Wave them on home. And I got to tell you, I know the umpire. I know the judge. And I know that through the grace of God, if you just come on home, there's no way in God's name are you going to be called out. You're going to be safe. Maybe you're that person on third base and you've been stuck there for a long time and you may be in this room today or you may be over at Renovate or you may be listening or watching online. And you may have been fed some wrong information. You may have been fed the line that uh, you got to get your act together and then God will accept you. Or you may be thinking, man, if I, if I do this, I'll mess up again. And, I just want you to know that I'm waving you on home. And you can come home. Because the forgiveness has already been taken care of. Jesus has already declared it. Whatever comes out of Jesus' mouth is done. He's already proclaimed. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And grace is what we receive, the mercy of God. I want to invite you to do that today. There's a ritual that is more than a ritual that we use in our church at times. It's, it's called simply confession and pardon. I want to invite you to stand with me, and I, I want to just lead us through this ritual together, this prayer together, and just invite you to pray these words as they appear on the screen of a confession, okay? Let's, let's pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not done your will. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. I'm here to tell you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Let's all say it. In the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.